Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Good morning, everybody. If you're new here, my name is Jay Harris. Um, I'm going to be bringing the word this morning, and we're going to be talking about something I'm pretty excited to speak about. We're going to be talking about parenting. Um, I have eight kids or whatever, and I'm still super nervous to actually preach about this sermon because it's like even as I was working on it or whatever, like I'm working on the sermon and my kids are like coming coming in the room or whatever and they're like, yo daddy, juice, juice, juice. And I'm like, your daddy is working on the sermon. And then I go back to working on the sermon, I'm like, hmm, I don't think this works out too good. Uh, So I'm like repenting through it, messing up as a parent all throughout the whole text or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, Lord, I need this scripture like more than anybody. So We're going to be inside of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 today. Um, And so I'm going to unpack this a little bit differently. We're going to be doing Q&A questions and answers today like we did last week. So y'all are going to be able to ask questions about parenting, whether they be just practical stuff you want to know. No question is stupid, so we want you to ask questions. So you can actually just text the number on the screen. Um, But as I got into this text, it... it, um, Basically, let me just say it like this. I'm going to zoom out really big um, or kind of big, and then I'm going to zoom back in on the text. And what I mean by that is that we're going to just really unpack this in the sense of what is, what, what is the scripture sitting at inside of Ephesians? Like what is Paul really, really trying to say to the people? Because when we read it at first va- face value, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father. This is the commandment with the promise. Um, and then in verse 3 says that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. It seems pretty simple. It seems very direct. But there's something even bigger than just that right there going on, right? Something that's going to give value to your parenting, and I think we need to see. So when Paul is approaching Ephesians, the reason I like the book of Ephesians is because he's, he's, um, he's kind of reflective as he goes through it. He's giving you a lot of imperatives. But he's also saying stuff like he's using the word like mystery, mysterious. He's using the word profound. It's almost like he steps outside of his own text and he's kind of staring in at what he's saying. And he's like, man, this is absolutely crazy what God is doing. Right. And so when he goes into verse verse in chapter five, he says he he says the church submits to Christ. He says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He says, husbands, love your wife. And then he says, um. And then now he's saying in verse six, he's saying, children, honor your mother and your father. So he's actually going along with these imperatives and he's kind of um, and he's he's floating through. But when I was looking at the text, I kind of started thinking to myself, I'm like, all of this stuff sounds really crazy. And and as I'm reading it, I hear the arguments of today in them. Like so when he talks, when he says church submit to Christ, I just started thinking about from a leadership standpoint, even arguments I've had where I'm like, Yo, this is just a man on the stage. Why should I submit to this dude? What does that play out in this, right? And then, then how many times have we heard, you know what I'm saying? We've heard women, I'm sure y'all have said this, why in the world should I submit to my husband? He's a jerk. He acts like a jerk sometimes, right? So, and then I can't tell you how many times that I've sat in front of a husband and he's like, yo, man, you know, I work hard every day. My wife doesn't respect me. I'm just not going to respect her. I don't think she's worthy of it. I'm not feeling this. I'm ready to jump ship, right? And so as I'm reading all of this stuff, and now he's saying, yo, children, obey your parents. Honor your mother and your father. 
And when I'm thinking about that, the question that comes to my mind, man, I had an amazing mother, but she had flaws. I had a father, and he wasn't even there. I barely knew him, right? I'm a parent of eight kids, but I make a lot of mistakes. And so as I'm reading this stuff, I'm going, there has to be something else in play in this whole conversation here, right? So when we have questions like that, I think the best way to answer them is to look at Jesus Christ. So the, que- so the thing is this right here. How did Jesus model out? How did he obey his father? What did that look like, right? So let's just read something real quick. Um, this will be on the screen. This is Ephesians 5, um, 1 and 2. So in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children or beloved children. And he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the part of this text I want to focus on real quick is this right here. He said, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, right? So when I was reading this, I started thinking to myself, um, well, like, so yesterday, right? I was, inside, I was in the room and I was working on a sermon. I wanted to go over it with my wife and all my kids were in the living room, body slamming each other, making forts out of the furniture, um, you know, taking, you know, yogurt on their hands and going up to the flat screen and just lacing that baby up like that, whatever. You know, somebody was probably in the corner just with just a cup of juice like, daddy, and just like, you know, that's just typically what's going on, right? And so when I came out of the room, I just looked around, I was frustrated, and I was like, oh, my God. And then I looked at Lana, and I said, and I was like, and I was like, like this right here, right? You know, I was like, I was like, I was like come here, but I, I, I was doing it because I, I had, you know, I wanted to talk to her, right? But the thing was this right here. I actually did it because, um, you know, I did it because I just needed to talk to her, but when I did it, it's like I realized, like, the way I was talking to her in it. You get what I'm saying? You know, somebody says, come in, you be like, you don't talk to me like that. You know, and you're like, yo, I didn't say nothing. But it's like, yo, you know what you're saying when you're doing all that? Like, you could have just been like, hey, you know, like, put a smile away, but you like, you know. So when I rolled up on, I had my neck a little contorted like that. And so I stopped and I was like, I said, yo, I said, baby. So she walks over and I said, baby, I said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I just did that to you. And she was like, you know, I grabbed her, hugged her, and she was kind of like, you do that all the time. What? You know, like, and I was like, and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sorry or whatever. And she, I could tell she was confused. And so I started explaining to her. I said, you know, I said, I'm sorry I did that because in the middle of doing that, I realized that I wouldn't do that to God. And it, and it just kind of froze me. And, it, and like, it, you know, it seems something, it's really simple. So it really seems like a small thing, you know what I'm saying, or somewhat innocent, but it like hurt my heart. I don't want to talk to God like that, right? I don't want to treat him like that. I wouldn't do Jesus like that if he was standing there or whatever. I wouldn't be like, come here, yo. Get your robe, gather your, get your, gird your loins and come here, yo. I'm not going to do him like that, right? <laughs> so, gird your loins up, G. Like, you know, I'm not going to do that at all. I'm not playing that game with him. And so I just realized with my wife at, at that moment that I did that. But the only reason I realized it and this is where I want you to connect this and grab it. It says, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this is this thing that Christ did for us on the cross. But he was actually honoring his father and obeying his father. Do you get what I'm saying? So in all of these frameworks we're looking at, 
The church, the church submits to Christ, right? Honoring your pastor or your leaders or whoever your eldership, why would you do that? They're men. They're flawed. Wives, why would you submit to an imperfect husband? Why? Husbands, love your wife, lay down your, uh, love your wife and lay down your life to the point of death. And, and it says that you're even called to be a part. You're, you're, you're working with the Holy Spirit and actually sanctifying her. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you do such a thing? And it's very much in that scripture right there in Ephesians 5. It, it goes past them. It goes past them in this thing that you're doing unto God. And the result of it overflows on them. For, our, for children, if you're a child and you're trying to, you, or, or, or even as adults, we have issues with our parents and we're just like honoring our mother and our father. Like, yo, they messed up along the way. They did so many things. But it's like, it's actually a bigger conversation than them. Do you get where I'm coming from? God doesn't apologize for that. Since what he calls us to do as believers, right? Um, so with my wife, that's what I realized. I'm like, it helps me put a lot of things in perspective because I realize that I'm talking way past, I'm, I'm, I'm functioning past her, but it, it brings me to the truth and it sheds so much light on what's going on in the moment, even in small things like the way I conversate with her. Um, so just, you know, just a couple of things right here, whatever. Christ, um, in Luke 22, 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? So he, 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 he gives us the example of what it looks like for a child to honor their father. Right? Um, and he's doing that. Like we have, it begs the question, why in the world would you die for wretches, people that would actually stab you in the back? Right? Um, the best picture of what goes on with us as people, right? Is uh, I can't believe that I can't remember the name or or the story definitely because I'm coming out with it on my head right now. But it's uh, I think it was Gomer, was Gomer the prostitute in the Bible, and then and then uh, I forgot who it was, but Christ had them. Was that Hosea? So he had Hosea married a prostitute, and so, but she keeps hitting the street on him, and he's having to run out in the street and get her right, and it's like it's a perfect picture of. Christ loving us, loving his bride, the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, we keep hitting the street on them. We keep, keep running on them. And I'm just like looking at them like Christ knowing we would do that. I'm like, why would he do this? But he's actually doing a work unto his father because the master has a master plan. You get where I'm coming from? So the, way, the reason I think it's important to zoom out and look at this like this is because I think that the error we would make is that we would look at this whole thing on parenting and we would just go, how do I be a good parent? And we would get stuck in ourselves and, um, and, and, and it would be more about us and, and, and we would shortchange ourselves in doing that instead of seeing this amazing plan God has in it and how to actually serve God in our parenting. So that's the place I really want to get it. So I want to kind of expand there to come back to this. Um, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says this right here. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? That's an important line. We are seated up in heavenly places. This is the identity that he's given us when we've been redeemed in Christ Jesus, right? It says, so that in the coming ages he, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in, G, in Christ Jesus. And then it says, for grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason I wanted to hit this scripture right here, whatever, and what we're talking about is because there's this thing where I just see how, the, how Satan attacks this idea of um, our faith and our trust in God. Right. I think it's evident with all the examples I've given when it's wives submit to your husband. Husbands, lay your life down for your wife. Right. Every argument we have in defense of ourselves, we we tend to forget that God is actually working an eternal purpose in the moment. Right. Like in this very moment, he's doing something that has an internal effect. Right. And so when we look even when we look inside of the Old Testament, the next part of the scripture right here says um, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So we what we were essentially reading, we're reading one of the Ten Commandments. And you look in Deuteronomy, this actually comes back from Deuteronomy when Moses is giving the law to the people. But the way that that law was given to the people and the way it was expected to function was that Moses gave it to the people, the father and the mother would, would be over their household, right? The father would lead his wife and his children, and he would massage this. It literally says, keep these words hung around your neck. Like constantly when you wake up, when you go to bed, you look towards these words, right? So there's this thing that God is doing where he is like, well, let me just keep on going. So you work it with your family. Right. And you give it to your kids as your kids grow up and they go out into the community. Right. It begins to create the culture, your culture of your household is formed. Then the culture of your city is formed. Right. And we're living in this redemptive thing that God is perpetuating. Right. That he's moving forward, that he's doing. And so the enemy. Wants us to be forgetful. And the fact that God is bigger than us. So we keep trying to pull God down to our face and make him really, really small and conversate with him like that. Like he has to hit all our checks and balances instead of leaning into a scripture and saying, God, you're bigger than us. You know the way you you, you give light to our path. You order our steps. Right. And so that's the broad, big view of what this is. And that's the big view of what Jesus gave to us in the idea of, um, in the example he gave us of dying to himself and completely going after the will of the Father, right? So that's what's going on in the scripture. So um, there's a couple of things I want to jump to real quick. So we're going to be doing the Q&A, so I'm not going to unpack every single thing inside of these texts, but I'm just going to get to some of the stuff in verse 4. And, uh, and run it through. So it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, right? So 
my first thing is, what are some of the ways we provoke our children, all right? Um, for me personally, um, the first way that I was provoked as a child was my father's absence. Him just not being there, that, 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 that completely messed with my identity on so many levels. Um, it, it, the, I needed to know who I was. And because I didn't know who I was, I had to go out and I had to try to figure it out myself. That led me into trouble and jail and all these other things or whatnot. But his absence crushed me on so many ways. And it made me an angry kid because I always felt incapable. You get what I'm saying? And so um, I felt like I never had the tools to do anything or be good at anything. And simply because I was missing my father's voice to say, son, you're doing great. Keep moving forward. I didn't know what that even sounded like. You get what I'm saying? And, and, and if I did hear it, I didn't trust it, right? Um, you know, we talked about this a lot, while ago, and I feel this at home with my children all the time. But we do this thing where we don't look at, at our children as humans. Like, we don't look at them as real humans. Like, we think that because they're children, even though the Bible tells us, too, that they're precious and to take care of them, we look at them like... We can say anything to them. They end up becoming our punching bags for after we have a bad day at work, right? So it's like, it's like back off, leave me alone. I don't got time for that right now. And we talk to them sometimes like they're not even humans, you know? Um, that is uh, the, the, the sin of anger actually is a mystery in itself because it does damage in ways that we can't even understand. And I think when we look around society today that we see the results of it. Um, one of the things we do also is we shame them and we criticize them heavy. Like, you know, one of my things, my wife is always jabbing, jabbing me on or whatever. So, you know, I'll, I'll flip out and I'll look at, and I'm like, why? Why'd you do it? Why to the why? Why squared? Why did you do it? Right? And so my wife is like, stop with the why. Stop it. Stop asking why. Because I really don't even want to know the answer. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm putting shame on them because it's like we're really looking like we're putting them in a position to make think about it. When you ask somebody that, you're really looking to make them feel stupid half the time because you feel that there's not a answer that is appropriate. It just is foolishness to you. And I've made that mistake so many times with my children where it's like, man, actually, I felt stupid after I took the time to ask the question because they had a very logical reason. I'm like, that's actually... That's, that's actually a bit sharper than what I was coming with. Man, okay. Like, you know, and so, so you know, I'm shortchanging myself on the opportunity to learn in, in that as well, you know. So, um, you know, one of the things we're talking about, like, what, you know, why do we do that? Why is it that we as parents provoke them to anger? One of the things is this right here. It's this, it's, it's control. A lot of times when I sit in a, you know, if I, if I do something wrong, whether it's to my wife or I do something to my children and I, I take the time and I go sit and I, and I think through it and I keep asking myself the whys. I'm like, why did you do that? I'm like, man, because I got stuff to do and so forth and then I got things to do. And I say, no, why did you do that? And the answer is usually because I feel like I'm losing control of something. Amen. Right? So I'm lashing out because I feel like I'm, I'm losing control of something. And, um, and in the midst of control and trying to run stuff or whatever it, I'm, I'm, I'm deceived about I need to control, it doesn't allow time for me to lean down 
and get face to face with my children and look them in the eye and talk through whatever they're going through, right? It seems so much easier when they come in crying and say, hey, out of here, go to your room. Then to stop and say, son, what's wrong? And listen to a story and encourage him and work through it with him. You know, you may say, oh, my sister did this to me or whatever. She, she threw something at me. But number one, I'm not even counting them as a human. Who, 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 would, who lets somebody walk in the room crying and completely ignores it and doesn't respond to it? We don't treat our enemies like that. You get where I'm coming from? So I think there's a thing, in, there's a work that really needs to be in our heart, be done in our heart where, man, we reevaluate what children are to us. Do we believe the Bible when it tells us that our children are precious to us, right? And so how do we move forward and function in that? Um, the late, great Whitney Houston, right? She once said... I believe the children are our future. Some, some. Let, let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride. Some. But y'all know the song, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm playing around, but like the fact of the matter is, I really, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that song. And the fact that there's like, you know, God, if we, if we come out of, if we zoom out of this text, when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, what we're talking about, like God has a master plan. Sometimes we're just looking at the text and we're narrowing in on it. But God is like, like these kids are your future. In America right now, we are killing kids like we are slaughtering by the millions Right? Like slaughtering them by the millions. And they're actually our future. It's biblical from you start from the beginning on the end. It's always in there. He talks about everything going forward through our children, through the way we care for our home, the way we lead them with instruction, the way we discipline them. Right? I just want to show you something here. Discipline is the suppression of base desires. And is usually understood to be synonymous with restraint and self-control, right? And, 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 and it says this, self-discipline is to some extent a substitute for motivation. Instruction is this. It says detailed information telling how something should be done operated in a symbol. In, in a symbol. So when we talk about discipline being synonymous with this idea of motivation. The big idea there is that there is, when we're leading our home, when we're instructing and leading our kids, is that we actually have, discipline is not just about disciplining your kids. It's not a bad thing. It actually speaks to this idea of motivation, when motivation means you have a purpose, right? So once again, when we zoom out, we find ourselves in this amazing thing that God is doing that has eternal value. Do you get where I'm coming from? So it's like, you, you know, what I wish, what I want to do, what I'm looking to do for myself and do for you when we're talking about this is actually get us to understand the amazing weight that God has put on us when it comes to our children. The redemptive purpose in the way we lead them and instruct them, right? It's not just, oh, we got a baby, oh, we got another one to take care of. The Bible calls them arrows, Right. 
arrows, like, he, like, like he's loading joints up, cocking them back and shooting them at something. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's really this world, it's the brokenness, it's the loss. He's looking to redeem what has been broken. And he's done it through his son, Jesus Christ, but that moves forward through the commission in us. You get where I'm coming from? So um, this is another thing I want to hit, whatever, then we're going to go into Q&A. But this big idea that I'm talking about with um, next, well, let me say it like this. Next week, we're going to be going in further into um, Ephesians 6. I'm not going to put the text up, but the text talks about um, bond servants and their masters. In the same framework that God gives for um, this particular scripture with, scripture with parents and with kids and honoring them, right? Because he's God and he says so and he has a plan. He, he goes to the extreme with, with servants and with their masters. So we would ask the question, why in the world as a servant would I work diligently and put my back into honoring my master, right? Why? That makes no sense. We don't have the framework for that, and today we don't. We just despise the whole idea of it. And I mean, it's understandable in some senses, but God is God, and this is what his word says. But he is actually talking about the idea that his plan is so tight, and he's so sovereign and so control over everything, is that if you are even a slave, you can actually work unto your master, but actually work unto God. So it's the whole idea of what we talked about. Like I'm actually passing the master, doing my work unto God. And it hits over here at the master, right? And then on the same flip side, he tells the master, you know, do not threaten your slaves, right? And so I'm just showing you to that because I think for us to really grasp what God is telling us when it comes to our children and how to love them and how to lead them, we have to break at this place where we get that this is way bigger than you just being a parent. It's way bigger than just making sure they have a sweater to wear and everything else. All that stuff is noble and it's amazing stuff, but the fact of the matter is it's a holy work unto God and the plan that he is doing, right? And so, you know, I know he touched on some practical things about just how we... Um, sin against our kids and, and things like that. But I don't think that, um, I think the redemptive part of our heart and the redemptive part that's going to happen and change the way we love our kids is going to come when we stop, when we look past them and we look unto God and how, in, in the way we honor him and how that falls in front of our kids. And I think we're going to love them better. It already, like, it's, like I was giving you the example earlier, it helps me love my wife a lot better. Just doing little small stuff like, Come here, yo. Gird your, get, your, get your robe together. Gird your loins up. That's, it's wrong. And it don't seem wrong. But it seems so wrong when I put it in the, in the reference or the framework of how I honor God. So that's, um, so that's my sermon for right now. We're actually going to get into the Q&A now. I just want to give us some, um, some framework to think, think through as we're asking these questions and as we're working through how we love our family and our hearts. And, um, and so I'm about to bring up my right hand woman, Alana Harris is coming up here. She's in the back somewhere. And then, and then we got Matt Jensen and Amy Jensen coming up. And we're about to have some fun. Did y'all send any questions? Y'all sending questions? All right, yeah. Some questions, check, check. We do, here you go, Alana. Check, 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 check. 
Check. Yeah, you're good. All right. Guys, welcome the ladies on stage. So good to have them. All right. Nice work, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. What we Can got? you hear me? Come on. No, yeah, we're good. Okay. What we got? Questions? That's the phone number. All right. Go ahead, Jay. Is it against biblical principles for both parents to work? Are we not putting our full trust in God by feeling we need two incomes to live a life of fulfillment? Starting off varsity level over here. Hey, Usher's escort, whoever sent that out the building. Out the right door. Now. Uh, All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna start on this one. Um, am I talking into the mic? Everybody says that I'm talking to the mic, so I'm just checking. Just put a little bass in there. Okay, so the uh, answer to the first question, um, no, it's not against uh, the Bible for p both parents to work. And um, me and Amy kind of, um, we said we're going to kind of talk about this from two different, um, I'm going to talk about this from being a parent that has worked full time since the beginning of time with the kids. <laughs> and um, and the, the main thing here is that it all depends on your circumstance. It completely depends on the circumstance. And um, so as far as, it's all about priority. It's all about the priority you put on family and work and basically anybody can do it. Whether you work full time, you work part time, you don't work at all. It's all about whether or not you're being present with your kids and raising your children and it can be done in either, in either way. So that's yeah. my basic answer. And then yeah, I, I'm gonna just add on to it really quickly too. Like, so, you know, for me, like me and Lana having eight kids and everything else, um, <laughs> so, yeah. What's the everything else? It, it, yeah, so everything else, I don't even know what everything else is. It just seems fitting. But, you know, I think, you know, you know, just coming up having a lot of kids, we've had to deal with a lot of sometimes judgment from people. And, and even, you know, with Lana working or whatever, then I see women get judged for not working and all, you know, it goes so many different places. But I think it's people have to deal with what's fitting in their own home. Um, and, and so I don't think there's a biblical framework for this or whatever. When we look at the Proverbs 31, we see a woman who actually um, is, is earning money, who is super respected in the community. I mean, she's a powerful, amazing woman. Um, you know, but that's just an example of one woman. That does not say that, we, that everybody should go out and do that exact thing. Um, the work of a woman at home is, is just as honorable and gangster as the man sitting, you know, swinging the hammer every day. And so, you know, and so I think that these categories we try to put stuff in is really wrong. I think it invades our home and gets abusive in the relationship of a husband and wife. And husbands feel like, oh, what I do is this right here. And it undermines, and I don't think that's love and respect. So I think it undermines a lot of that stuff. You know, for our household, um, at, at one point, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was completely disabled. Lana was bathing me, shaving me, and everything else, and it took literally years, and, and you know, I still go through stuff, and I'm still in the doctor, but I would go to church, and people would be like, 
looking at me crazy, like, yo, why aren't you working? Like, you need to be leading your home. And I'm like, um, my wife helped me put on my underwear this morning, man. Like, back off with all that. And so when, when stuff gets real, all of the 50 million questions goes out the window. And you do what you have to do every day. And you do it under God. And you let him talk to you about that and guide you in it. So, you know. You got anything, Amy? Um, no. I, well, I would stress just that the... Um, like Alana was saying, the priority of relationships is something that is a biblical principle. Um, prioritizing relationship as a unit, as a family um, between the husband and wife and, the, and then with your kids becoming or just being the heart priority. Yeah. And that that can play out whether um, you're working full time, part time or working just at home. Yeah, that's good. Also, want to just add that it's a hard job. However, you do it. If you work and you come home to kids, that's very hard. But I, I've also been at home at times with the kids, and I'm like, "Hey, I got to get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to at times. <laughs> at times, meaning when I wasn't working, yeah. and I was at home with them. But it's um, so it's a hard job. However, you look at it, and um, I just wanted to add that that it's a lot if you're home working with the kids. That's a job in itself, so you still work. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Cool. Next. Can discipline be provoking to your kids? Where is that line that may be invisible? As a parent, when you think you're just being a caring parent waiting to discipline your kids, wanting to discipline your kids. So can discipline be provoking to your kids? Where's the line that may be invisible as a parent when you think that you're just being a caring parent wanting to discipline your kids? Go for it. Um, so I'm so My plan is to say this. as little as possible. Um, no, I, I'm passionate about the discipline idea. So, uh, um, I think that um, this has just been a recent thing that has resurfaced as our kids get older, um, just relooking at discipline. And um, I think that a starting point is to think about why we discipline. And the answer to that is looking at how God disciplines us and why he does it. Um, in Hebrews, it says he does it because he loves us. So it's always to... Discipline always has a restorative purpose. It's meant to bring us back to God. And it involves a consequence sometimes for our actions, a lot of times, um, because of the reaping what you sow principle. If you didn't see what comes of your sin, then that's not loving. You don't really, you're not moved to repent. Um, but the purpose of discipline is to restore us back to God. And I think that same principle is true for us and our kids. It's to restore them back to relationship with us and with God and with each other. So um, so then you look at the question of that's why, but what about how? How are we supposed to discipline? And I don't think that that's like a, a blanket answer. It um, involves research and for what's age appropriate and involves um, prayer for what's child appropriate because each child is so different so like um and it, and it involves your heart just where are you at in disciplining there's 
there's been many of times where I approach discipline out of how my child has frustrated me um, and how I'm embarrassed at them or angered at them. And that's never restorative when I re approach it that way um, because I'm not moving out of love for them and wanting to be reconciled. I'm moving out of uh, anger or offense. And that's not how God disciplines me. So um, when thinking about that, my heart, but also thinking about our different children, we've had one who has responded um, the discipline of a spank when it's sandwiched in love um, has restored him back to us. With our, another child of ours, we can spank him 12 times and he just gets worse. And, uh, you know, and so for him, it's been... We've had to throw everything we did with the first one out the window. And Not really, the child, just the <laughs> stuff. Well, we lock him places. Yeah. But, because uh, um, he's the danger to himself and others. Um, you know, but for him, he's been, we, we can't discipline him that way. Um, so, so, what I have to say is that it's been really helpful for us to consider what discipline is why God made it, it's really because he loves us and wants to restore us to him. And we're supposed to carry that same principle with our kids. And there's not really one way that that's going to fit every child. Um, but our heart, as the one who is truly um, being the representative of God to our child, when we discipline them, is really of utmost importance. Um, that's good. So one thing we've started to do also that's been helpful is like, if one of us is really angry, I'm like, you got this. I can't handle this. Uh, I got to go. Um, or he does that with me, you know, because when you move towards the kid out of anger, it really doesn't represent God and it's not restorative. And that's our goal. Yeah. So good. Um, so good. That was great. Uh, a couple things that might be helpful to think about, too, that were aha moments for us was differentiating punishment from discipline. Um, are, is God punishing you for your sin? And are you, if you're in Christ, is God punishing you for your sin? And the answer is all of the punishment you deserve for your sin was already put on Christ. And it's not going to be double jeopardy. He didn't punish Jesus, and now he's going to punish you. That's not what he means by reaping what you've sown. There's a difference between discipline and consequences than punishment. So if you approach your kid and you say, well, you did this and you deserve to be punished for it, you're going to approach that very differently. Then you did this and there's foolishness and there's sin bound up in your heart right now. What can I do to restore you and move you to see the, the devastation of your sin for yourself and for our family and, and, and the offense towards God in a way that will cause you to repent? Not to be hardened, but to repent. And we asked, can discipline be provoking to your kids? And I think that what's wild about the verse that Jay preached this morning is he says, fathers, don't provoke your children, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, that means there's a way to discipline and instruct your kids that doesn't provoke them to anger. And it's so most of the time that I think discipline in our instruction and parenting is exactly what provokes our children to anger. You know, it's the control. And last week we talked about the difference between neglecting your child and controlling your child. And a religious person is going to try to control their kid. That's going to lead to anger. And a person who abandons their kid and neglects their child, that's going to lead to anger. But there's a third way. There's a third gospel-driven way to love your kid that doesn't provoke them to anger. Draws them near. It doesn't push them away. 
Why, would you, why does your kid run away in shame and when they're in trouble? Why do you isolate them from community and from your family when they're in sin? When God does the exact opposite, he brings you into the light to have fellowship with him and to cleanse you of your sin. So we ground our kids and send them away to their room instead of drawing them near in the middle of their sin. What is going on there? Which principle are we, have we inherited? Move to the dark and sit by yourself. Or let me sit with you in the middle of this. We're, like, we're not saying guilty of doing that the wrong way last night. Okay? It's, it is a... It is a battle, like such a battle in the moment to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment to love your child. Um, it's a, a war. So there is definitely ways to provoke your children to harden them through discipline. Why don't, why don't we take the time? Why don't we pause? Why don't we slow down? They're getting in our way. Like they're slowing us down. They're, we're, whenever you see control, you're also going to see fear. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is your kid going to turn out to be? What are you, what are you preventing them from being? What's, what's your worst nightmare? Well, your worst nightmare, to keep that from happening, you're going to clamp down in control, and then your worst nightmare will definitely come true. Yeah. You know, it's on the way. Yeah. Just wait for it. So, I don't know if we can do a next question. Yeah, good. Is the father to be the spiritual leader in the home? What if he does not read the Bible or play with the children? How can he be encouraged to lead? I'll start. Um, so, uh, yes, the answer is yes, and you fathers agree, right, that he is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home. And then um, I'm going to kind of skip to the last one. How can he be encouraged to lead? Um, so for my experience, um, the start of encouraging your husband in, in any way or um, no matter what the circumstances, is through prayer. And I say that because um, whenever I go to him with something and I haven't prayed about it and I'm just kind of going on my own because I'm angry or something like that, it always turns into me nagging him and he, him getting angry in the process. And so, but however, there's been times when I've prayed about it and kind of asked the Holy Spirit to lead me in what I say and give me an opportunity to say it, you know, so that I'll say it at the right time, not when he's already dealing with something. And um, whenever I do that, it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of comes and gives me an opportunity, just the perfect timing and everything. And it just kind of works out. Or there's been times when I just pray about it and he'll come to me with it and say, hey, um, you know, I really feel like I'm doing this or I'm not doing enough here or, and it's simply just the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think that's good, baby. I think one of the things too is that the way I think about this is that um, it, it kind of, it goes back to what we we're saying earlier where, you know, you're doing what you do unto God. And, it, and it's bigger than just the person that's standing in front of you. So, you know, I think that when we look at the scriptures and we look at how the father is called, when it comes to, um, we, we look at the relationship between uh, the priority between the husband and the wife and how the husband is literally called to love his wife to the point of death and called to sanctify her, right? That, that means that it's not based on the idea that she's perfect and he starts loving her when she's perfect. He loves, her, he loves her even when things are a mess, right? But when it comes to the idea of spiritual leadership and the way this is meant, sometimes I think that shifts around. I think responsibility 
um, of the husband and what he's called to do before God doesn't change um, at all in what the word is calling the wife to do in submission. But it's meant to work together. But because we're humans, it gets messed up and, and jacked up sometimes. So, like, you know, even with what Amy was saying when she's like, sometimes Matt may, may be too angry. It's the same in my household. I'll be too angry and Lionel will tap me and go, hey, babe, let me, let me take this one right here, right? She'll take lead for me in that situation. Um, so I hope I'm answering that in kind of context of how the person meant in the question. But so I think that there's times when I think we're we're um, we're a lot of times we're leading each other in a lot of different things, and we're encouraging each other, and we're bringing redemption and, and growth and health to our household by watching each other's back and and what would be a partnership or whatever. But the way that I see the um, the requirement or the responsibility. Um, for me to be a leader in the house and to love my wife to the point of death, I do see that as the as a spiritual leader sense. So I'm just trying to hit two ways people may be able to hear it, if that makes sense. What does this look like if you're a single mom? Don't look over here, bro. <laughs> so I'm just because I know that the reality is is that you know you have people that are married and they're the men aren't leading in this way, yeah. and then you have single moms that you know feel like they can't win for trying almost sometimes or, you know, where do you start or how do you get engaged or do you have to wait? Like what's going on yeah. with that? And I'd love to, I mean, I wish we had a single mom up here today. That would have been wise noted for next time. But yeah, I mean, Alana, what, how would you speak to that? I mean, would you have anything you would add to that? Or Amy, I mean, you guys have lots of friends that are here that are single moms and you guys pray with them and walk with them in that. Well, I think in that situation where the question reads, is the father to be the spiritual leader in the home, the mother has to be the spiritual leader in the home. And it's just, um, that just has to be taken in. And um, hopefully she has um, like a base, like how we have here in church, where she has the people that can encourage her. But um, it's, it's, it's hard. And um, because I've um, been there actually uh, way back and um, I had to do it on my own and it was hard and I pushed through and I made it through and it was by the grace of God. And um, there is a difference there. Uh, there's a huge difference there because I've done both. And um, I mean, it's doable, but um, I had a lot of people around to encourage me to push forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, along the lines of just making use of your bigger community to um, like a house party or even something more intentional, asking another male and a dad to, um, to substitute some of those things um, as far as loving the children um, as only a male could if that's what you um, think your kids could benefit from. Um, so just as a bigger question, I think that parents need parents. Parents need other parents to be bouncing ideas off of. Um, even like Alana, I've learned so much about her from watching her with her kids. She, she doesn't like um, insert herself in every squabble and hurt like I do as a helicopter mom. Um, <laughs> and her kids have the fruit of independence because of that that I don't see in mine yet you know so like it, when, when we're talking her kids aren't climbing up her body to get in their her face to um 
to interrupt. And, and so that's just something I've picked up from watching her um, that I want to, to do more in my, in my own house. So just um, for the single moms especially, but every mom and dad, uh, I think that we need to talk to each other and absorb ideas from each other. Yeah, go ahead, babe. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to add a little bit to what Amy was saying because she's saying that, but I always think I wish I could love on my kids like Amy does. <laughs> but yeah, so it kind of it kind of just confirms what she's saying about just the different ways that you can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So I just want to add this really quick, but just in the maturity that you know, I think as you know, we we hope to see in the church is that. We want to see um, the men of the church come beside um, the people who just, you know, like there's kids running all over the place. Some of them don't have fathers or vice versa, don't have mothers. And, you know, a lot of times we kind of sit in the church and we're like, man, what can I do? And, you know, and, and what we can do is love the person that's like two feet over to us. Um, and we can, um, and, and that's the way we're supposed to be community and we're supposed to love each other. And that's what family looks like. So even from a, a, a you know, an eldership standpoint or leadership in the church, man, my heart was blessed a couple of weeks ago when you did the Q&A and we had a lot of single women asking like, how do I function? How do I date? How do, um, you know, how do I deal with guys? I feel like, you know, like just the hopelessness of feeling like there's no guys out there. And so to be able to bring, um, you know, light into those type of scenarios to help lead in that, um, that's a huge responsibility to care for um, the, 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 you know, ladies in our church that are single that don't, maybe don't have a husband or don't have a father to say that to. And, and it's what God's called us to. But there's a lot of men in this church that are able to step in maybe with a, you know, and, you know, let me pick up your kid and take him out to this Jags game or something. Um, so I see uh, our responsibility being that in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I want to address something really fast. I sit around, this is me, oftentimes. I'm not spiritual leading, not reading the Bible. I, I, I'm kind of a binge Bible reader with my children, you know, like binge dieting. It's like you're in it and then you're not in it. Um, you're like really good at it for a few weeks and, a few, and then you're terrible at it for a few years and then back to it for a few weeks. Um, not really that extreme, but honestly, it's hard for me to be consistent with anything for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that locks me away is to engage in any of the stuff, to play with them, to read the Bible with them, to pray with them, to do that with Amy, to do that with the children, to do anything, is as soon as I start doing it, it reminds me of how long I haven't done it. Mm. It, it, it. It's in my face really bad, the shame of how bad I've been at it. And then I don't do it. It paralyzes me from engaging, the shame of that. Like I'll stare at myself in the mirror just in shame about that I'm, I'm repeating things generationally, I'm not engaged, all this stuff, and he needs me this way, and he, she needs me this way, and I'm not doing it, you know, they'd be better off with somebody else. I mean, I, I go dark. Shame kills me at times like that. And so it isn't, and we're talking about the law here, people. We gave you a law. Honor your parents. How are you doing with that? You know, res, you know instruct and discipline your children. How are you doing? That's a law. And the law is crushing us in this room. And the only way you're going to pick your head up to gauge this is that you're a free son. You are a free daughter. You are loved by God, and he's not waiting for you to do it perfect, to empower you as you walk in faithfulness and obedience and repentance to go after it. Right. And that, that season where you were abdicating and not doing what you should be done, it's paid for sin. 
that he is forgiving you of and washing you of, and he wants you to walk in freedom from that, not to be paralyzed with condemnation. The enemy would be great at letting you know all the ways you should be a better parent. I mean, the enemy doesn't care if you know the law. What he cares about is are you condemned by it or convicted by it? He doesn't want you to be convicted. He wants you to be condemned today. The Holy Spirit wants to convict you and then to lead you to freedom and obedience. So are you feeling condemnation right now as we talk about this? And shame and how much you've been screwing this up? And even the shame of, you know, where were your parents? And why didn't they get off the couch and play with you? How much worth do I even have if they wouldn't even engage me? They deserted me, left me. You know, whatever shame you're sitting in that's going to keep you from moving forward, that's where the gospel is so beautiful here. Okay? We don't live under the pressure of having to be the best parents. We live under the grace that we have the best parent. We have a father who loves us, and we can, be, we can move forward in repentance. I need you to encourage me to that. I need, I mean, literally, I need that encouragement. I need, we need to encourage each other every day in this because we get stuck right when we fail. And we just say, forget it. I guess they'd be better off without me. I'm hurting them right now. I'm wounding them. They'd be better off without me or somebody else parenting them. It gets fat. Does anybody else connect to that? I mean, that's a huge yeah. thing for me personally. Um, next question. How do adult children honor the parents while maintaining healthy independence? Rock, paper, scissors. You, yeah. <laughs> well, um, so I think here is, it's a communication thing. Um, I know with uh, my mom, we, we talk all the time, and um, I do feel that sometimes it could get unhealthy, and um, it kind of all depends on the circumstance, but um, honoring them doesn't necessarily mean that you're spending every waking moment with them. It just means that you honor them as your parents, and um, honoring them can look a thousand different ways. Um, communication's big, though, just um, keeping that line of communication open, just making sure that you have a relationship with them. Anybody? I, yeah. hmm. I would just add that you could disagree with your parents and still honor them. And what might that look like? Yeah. Yeah. You know your children don't have to agree with you. Now, they have to, they're called to obey you and to tell you, you know, but you know that they're going to need time to evolve, not like evolve, but like learn, Right? <laughs> And we don't expect our children to learn. Like, we treat them like a pre-programmed software thing. It's like, hey, why isn't this working? This is malfunctioning. You have a virus, okay? You know, clean it, fix it. You already are designed and programmed. No, they're children. We don't discipline for childishness. We don't discipline for them being children. We, it's very different. But when it comes to this adult parent thing, I mean, it's, it's a hard conversation. Nobody wants to hurt their mom. The hardest thing in the world is to have a conversation that hurts your mom. And just, it's okay for you to hurt your mom. It's okay. She needs to know certain things that are hurting you. She needs to hear them. And if they are painful for her to hear, Paul says in one of his letters, you know, I'm sorry that my letter grieved you, it pained you, but I'm glad that it moved you to repentance. Now, if your mom's like, you're hurting me, and she starts playing the victim, well, it's probably her whole posture of being a victim that's hurting your relationship. 
I, so I don't know. It's a very delicate thing. It's a, it's a are you going to move to restore it or are you just trying to punish her in it? If you're trying to punish her in it, you're going to harm her. And it's, gonna, it's not going to be helpful. But if you want to move towards, she's playing the victim. She's always feeling, they like put her loneliness on you or she's always doing this. Or your dad is, is totally absent and needs to be confronted or whatever the dynamic is, they're going to hurt. I don't know if you've ever, nobody's ever come to you and stepped to you with something that, where you're hurting other people where it didn't hurt to hear how you were hurting other people. But would you rather keep hurting other people with obliviousness, you know? Or how would you move forward in loving your mom and honoring them by actually honoring them by not letting them drive off the cliff? Mm-hmm. By not putting you in the position to lie about them at their oh. eulogy? Would, like, seriously, love, like, would you rather know or would you rather not know? Now, I'd rather not know if you stepped to me trying to kill me with it for a minute. But we're allowed to, to move forward with loving words that hurt to hear for a minute. We're actually commanded to do that. We're commanded to, to do it out of love. Um, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. You know, um, don't take that and run to your moms right now, okay? You're going to need more than two minutes right now to run to your mom or your dad right now. All right, next. Last one, probably. Is that it, guys? Are we done? We got one more? Okay. What if the father provokes the son in anger? Um, so my answer to that right there would be this right here. I, I think we, we kind of hit it in the example we gave earlier where, um, you know, I'm assuming that the person asking this question is ask, asking within the framework of, of marriage. I think that um, anger is a, uh, it, it is a natural response that happens at times. And, um, and, and so I think that from, um, as a couple, you have to protect each other. And I think that's what we are talking about earlier when we are saying sometimes Lana jumps in front of that and says, hey, Jay, chill out. Or Lana could be, I, I know her nerves are just like gone, you know? And so she's, um, you know, she may be, you know, and this is true, she may be on the couch just rocking back and forth. And I see her going into that dark place. And, uh, and then Zulu's coming with like, you know, a cup of juice just spilling it as he walks up to her or whatever. And like, and I just see her eyes or whatever. And I, 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 I catch it before it even happens. I'm like, yo, back away from your mom right now. And like, I'm serious. This happens. I'm like, yo, 20 minutes. Nobody can even talk to her. Cause I'm like, she needs to work through that thing or whatever. And vice versa. It happens for me where she's like, yo, don't mess with daddy right now. All right. Like, and, and, and so forth. And, and, um, and so that's helpful in the moment, but the big thing in that is that we conversate and we communicate. And Lana tells me um, she has real honest conversations where she's like, Jay, this is what um, you being angry is doing. This is the result of it. This is how it hurts the family. This is how it's hurting the dynamic of what God is trying to do in our house. And, um, and she gives that to me. She serves that, that um, you know, she doesn't serve the dish cold. You know what I'm saying? It feels cold sometimes, and I'm not trying to hear it. But um, a lot of times we're able to have that conversation, and it's really, really helpful. It's kind of like what Matt was saying. Like, you don't want to be moving in, a, in an oblivion and just be hurting your family and not be aware of it. So um, I think a lot of these things, um, you know, like early I was making the reference to Ephesians 6 with the slave and also the master. But one of the things it says in that scripture, it says, um, don't, give, don't give lip service like basically don't put on this front and like play the game, but 
do stuff unto God all the time. And so I'm, I'm making that point to say this right here. Like, um, I don't want to be different with my kids in church playing the game than I am at home, right? So I want to love them the way I would honor God. I want to honor God in the way I love them, but I want to do that in the street as well. And so I think that's a really important framework for us to really think about a lot of times. I think the maturity God is pressing out of us is for us to get the flattery out of the way, the performance for people, and that we perform unto him, to his honor and his glory, and, uh, and, and so forth. So, and, uh, you know, I think that, um, I think that as a couple, we, um, we help each other along with that, and we minister to each other back and forth. Um, but I think there has to be, of course, wisdom, because by nature we're talking about an angry person. So there has to be wisdom in the conversation. You know, um, a lot, what gets us a long way a lot of times is a soft um, answer or um, esteeming the person we're dealing with higher than ourselves, even if they're a mess. So your husband being a wreck or being an angry person doesn't give you a right to disrespect them still. Um, what will actually get us a long way is, you know, you esteeming yourself lower than him in the situation and delivering that in love because it, it's, at the end of the day, it's about us honoring God and it's also about um, just the redemptive work of Christ. He's looking to heal what's broken. So how do we follow Christ in that example? Um, you know, so. Add something to that. That was great. Um, just how... how um, just thinking of how powerful it is when we repent to our kids and yeah. ask them to forgive, whether it's years of a proclivity towards anger or um, anger a few moments ago, yeah. you know, and just that that's a really, that door to repent to them is really open and really powerful Huge. and humiliating for the parent, yeah. but really restorative, yeah. you know, for, yeah. for us when we look at a three-year-old and say, I was wrong. Um, that's really humbling, but yeah. good. If you're dealing with angry kids, like right now, like you, like you see the damage of what you've done, the only way you're going to back out of that and begin to redeem that is by starting with forgiveness, like, excuse me, with repentance, coming before them. Like that does so much in the heart of a child to see their parent come to them and repent for their mistakes. And what it does too, it builds you a advocate also. Because in my home, I've seen where I've shamed my kids by always getting on them. And so anytime I did something wrong, of course they had to say, see, you're a jerk. Like I've been trying to tell you, right? But after, I, you know, I'm just keeping it, you know, real. But after I repented before them, then all of a sudden they became, they were on my team. And they're like, actually, I want to see you grow. Like, so I could mess up and then, you know what, I was wrong doing that. And they're like, it's all right, let's work through it. And they pointed me to the gospel. And, I, and, and our relationships are knitting, being knitted together like never before in ways I couldn't even imagine. But it came through my repentance. And it came from me walking in the light. And I still mess up and have to go back and be like, that was a straight jerk move I just pulled. And, for, and they have forgiveness waiting because now we're cultivating that in our household. But it started with me, you know, falling on my knees and having to repent. Having to repent like, you know, the way I just spoke to your mother was horrible. And, and, you know, I just want to add this, too. I know we're going long, but, you know, earlier when we were just talking about the way we lead the kids, like, man, we, we have an amazing opportunity to lead them in the gospel. And it goes back to, like, what do, are we talking to them like humans? So what I love to tell my kids, man, it, it's actually bigger than the fact that they made daddy mad. It's like they sinned against God. And I get to talk to them 
through that and like what is grace and mercy like you know what did Jesus do because of the sin you just did and them learning the framework and everything else like it, that is a, a gift from God to be able to do that but for years I neglected that it was all about you were wrong and you made daddy mad and you're in trouble and the conversation is way bigger than that when we zoom out it actually goes straight to the throne of, of the true king and our real father so so often we're raising our kids with the understanding like we expect them to obey the law. Yeah. Like we expect to train a child up in the what? Way they should go. And they will what? Not depart from it. Now you're like, well, that's a Bible verse. Yes, but what does it mean? If you're training a child up to be self-reliant, prideful, self-sufficient, and moralistic, thinking that they actually are a winner and doing it all right, you know, and they're getting the character awards every month at school, well, they're going to walk away one day and never see a need for Jesus. Where is their need for Jesus if you're an all-star? If you're a humble all-star, okay? How is that possible, you know? But if we train a child up in the way they will go with needing the gospel, then they won't depart from it. That's an amazing hope for them. So that being said, I think the band's walking up because we're going late. And uh, we need to get off the stage. Thank you, y'all.